Okay, we're going to be in the book 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 27. So the Bible says, and I read out the New King James, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we will all baptize into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in, the, in fact, the body is not one member, but many. For if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if there were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable are those we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God has composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So just kind of a way of an introduction. In this passage, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, seeking to make it clear to them that he's using the body as an analogy or a metaphor for understanding the relationship between the diverse or different members of the Christian community and the giftings of God that each member of the community has or is exercising in the community. The body is one, yet the body has many members, and the members of the body are all different. Even, even if you have the same member arms, you have a left arm and you have a right arm. They're not the same. In saying that it is one, Paul's concern is for unity. But unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean everybody has to be the same, act the same, exercise the same gift. And that was the Corinthian error. That's what they were struggling with, to think that uniformity was of value or that it represented true spirituality. Paul's concern is for their unity, but there is no such thing as true unity without diversity. You have to have diversity in the body for the body to be uh, successful for the body to be healthy. Um, so without diversity, eye, tongue, foot, arm, heart, without that diversity, there's no real health to the body. If you try to make the whole body an arm, um, you're going to uh, be out of whack. You're, you're not going to be in line. So with that in mind, kind of as a little background, let's jump into this. First point we want to look at is, is it says we are the body of Christ. That's the first point. We are the body of Christ. Not I, but we. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and then we're going to jump down to verse 27, just a couple of verses out of the text. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the bodies of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Now you, plural, if you were to look in the Greek, it's plural. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So we see in our text that Paul is teaching us 
by likening, by likening the church to the body of Christ, the body of Christ is whole and complete in its totality, but that totality is talking about all the members of the body that comprise the body together. Christ's body is made up of many individual members, many individual parts. At the end of our text, I didn't include this in our text, but at the end of our text, Paul, uh, if I were to have read it, asked a rhetorical question. And the rhetorical question is this in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30. Are all apostles? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, he doesn't just bluntly give you the answer, but the implied answer, if you read it in context, is that we do not all individually have gifts of healings. We do not all individually uh, have a public uh, the ability to give a public message in tongues, and we do not all individually interpret the public message in tongues. In other words, none of us individually is the whole package. None of us individually, individually walk in all the gifts that God has given to the body. We can all be used, because I'm going uh, to narrow this down to the gifts, we can all be used in all the gifts, but we don't all walk in all the gifts. The point we can gather from this text is that we, plural, all of us, have a vital part to play in the total well-being and God's designed ability for the body to function properly. That being the case, it's imperative that each person be activated and function in the body so that the body can receive that all that God has designed it to be and for the body to be whole. Now, imagine if, let's just look at a regular human body. Imagine if uh, in this human body, either the heart, well, if the heart wasn't activated, let's use another member. <laughs> I don't have a gallbladder because I have my gallbladder taken out. But there's a reason for a gallbladder. God put it in there for a reason. So imagine if the gallbladder stopped functioning. Well, you might still be able to function. I obviously function without a gallbladder, but without a gallbladder, other parts of the body have to do more than what they were designed to do. And the body is not everything it's supposed to be without that gallbladder functioning. The body is going to work better if you have a functioning gallbladder. Right? Making sense? So... Every part of the body that God has designed has a specific purpose and function to it. So in the body of Christ, every one of us is part of the body. That being the case, every last one of us is vital and important to the overall health and performance and function of the body. If there is parts of the body that are inactive, the body will not be all that it was designed to be. It doesn't mean the body can't function. It doesn't mean you can't get around, you know, but the reality is you're not going to be all that you could be. If there are parts of the body that are not uh, uh, activated or not uh, uh, desiring to function, you know, it's like I'm checking out. Well, the body as a whole can still function even though that part of the body wants to check out. The body, imagine the arm saying, I'm not going to let you use me anymore. Well, I can, I, you know, I fell off. I don't want to talk about this one. I, I, 
I fell off the stage here uh, about a month ago, and I bruised my arm. Come to find out, I bruised a whole lot more than my arm. Uh, bruised my knee, bruised my ribs, but most importantly, I bruised my ego. <laughs> right? It's not that I haven't fallen down before. I fall down before, but it's a little harder to get up this time than it was last time. So, uh, but I, the reason I tell you that is because I found out I must have bruised my arm pretty good because I wasn't able to use it. And, you know, this is a left arm, so it's not my dominant arm, but I didn't realize how much stuff I do with my left arm. Just getting in the car and closing the door. I'd reach for the door, just not even thinking about it, reach for the door. Ah! And I'd start, oh, man, that hurts so bad. So I have to do things like I can function, I can still drive, I can do, but when I get in the car, I don't leave the car door all the way open, I, I open it just halfway with my right hand, and that way I can reach over with my right hand, and I can pull the door closed. When I'm driving, I'm used to driving with my left arm, and so, you know, I, I'll go like this, ah, and so I, I, gotta, I gotta come around with my right arm, and you know, when I'm going around a corner, I, I have to do this with my right arm, because I'm used to doing this, you know, I have to, so I can compensate, Right? But it's not the same as having a full function of my left arm. And, and that's what I'm saying is that as a body, we need every piece to be activated and to function. Right? I, the reason I started thinking about this is, is I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump off before I wanted to get here, but I'll, I'll go ahead and go here. The reason I want to talk about this was because, um, listen, it's imperative if I was to look at this selfishly, and, um, you know, I, I struggle with my back. I, I've got prayed for. I'm believing that, that as I got prayed for, I got uh, uh, my goal towards full and complete healing was, was furthered. I'm believing that by faith. My body wants to tell me something differently, but I'm not going to let it. But, but here's my thinking, okay? So if in the body God has placed someone with the gifts of healings or with the working of miracles, then that gift is for the body. So it behooves me to see that gift activated and functioning in the body. Now, I, I want to be used in that gift. I do. I pray that God would use me in that gift. But I don't get to choose how God's going to use the gift or who God's going to use the gift through. So my, my goal then becomes to do all that I can to activate and impart the giftings in the body so that those giftings can become manifest in the body for the health of the body. You understand what I'm saying? It's not only going to bless the outside, but it's going to bless us as the church as well. Well, you can go to the Word and you get healed that way, yes. You can go, you know, and get, 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 do, do the other ways of getting healed. You can be prayed for by the elders, yes, you can get healed that way, but there's also other ways that God heals, and one of the ways is through the gifts of healings and through the workings of miracles and through the gift of faith. So I want those gifts activated, and what if those gifts are in the body, but they're just not activated yet? Or what if those gifts are supposed to be a part of the body, but they haven't been imparted to the body yet? Right? So selfishly, as an individual, it behooves me 
for you to become all that God's called you to be. But unselfishly, it behooves all of us for you to become all that God's desired for us to be. But I'm just singling out two gifts, but it's not just those gifts, it's all the gifts, right? So oftentimes in a service, and this is just stuff that has happened here, I'm not talking to all the body, I'm just talking to us, sometimes I'll feel like I don't have the right way to finish. I feel like there's a tongue, there's a prophetic word. Uh, just to be clear, a prophetic word, a uh, message in tongues and interpretation equals a prophetic word. Okay, and so I feel like God wants to either put a stamp or he wants to sum things up in a way that I haven't been able to. And so the gifts of those, those gifts are important to complete what God wants to do. Now, what if those giftings aren't functioning? What if those giftings are functioning, but the people that function in them aren't here? So it behooves us as a body that all of those who have the potential to be used in that gift would be activated in that gift, not just for the benefit of the person, but for the benefit of the body because it benefits the body. It's not just benefiting me so I can have a, a better uh, uh, understanding of my message. No, it benefits the body because God wants something to be known. He wants to set a seal on something. He wants, And so it's vital that the giftings are activated and imparted in the body for the health of the body, for the fulfillment of what God wants to do. I'm making sense to you. And so um, while this is not talking about necessarily the gifts, it kind of does talk about what we want to do. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? Those who make up the body of Christ. For the saints, and this is really how it should read, Okay. Um, if we were making a, a diagram, this is how it should read. So the gifts that God has given to the body, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they are the gift. They have a grace that is on their life. They have apostolic grace, prophetic grace, teaching grace, evangelistic grace, uh, um, you know, and uh, pastoral grace. That grace is on the person to equip the body to do what they do also to do more than what they do. You know, uh, today we're talking about activating and parting. What we're going to show you here is that God used Moses, he used Paul to activate gifts in the body. But the bottom line is they have a grace to equip the church. And what do they equip the church with? Grace, right? So that the saints, which is the body, can do the work of the ministry. Who's supposed to do the work of the ministry? If you are like... I don't want to answer that question because then I'll be responsible. I just said, we're the saints. Who's supposed to do the work of the ministry? Oh, I thought it was the staff. I thought it was, uh, you know, that's when stuff's not getting done, we need to hire more staff. No. The coaches on a football team, they don't play. They've played before. They can still play. But their job is not to play. What is their job? To equip the players 
to play and to play more effectively, to activate their gifts, to impart to them knowledge, to whatever they need to play the game effectively. For the players, in this case it would be for the saints to do the work of the ministry, for the saints, if you read it in context, to edify the body of Christ. So who's supposed to edify the body of Christ? Who's supposed to build up? The word edify means build up. Who's supposed to build up the body of Christ? Well, that's what the staff is for. Pastor didn't call me. Well, that's really not what it says. The pastor is supposed to teach you how to pastor so that you can pastor the body. You can pastor your workplace. You can pastor your school. You can pastor those around you. You can pastor the church. You can pastor. So I like to say it this way. You might not have been, got a call from me, but if I ask you, you probably got five different calls from five different people in the body. You're being pastored. And you're being pastored much more effectively than if one person was doing the job. Well, make a sense to you. So that is our job, is to equip the saints by activating and imparting them that they might become a perfect man, that means a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So you can be grown up and not mature. Anybody know somebody like that? Don't raise your hand. God wants us to be grown up, but his idea of grown up is that we be mature. (laughs) I told you. We're going to have some marital counseling now. (laughs) well you didn't see he raised both hands like this that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine but we should be you know maturity uh, and I like to uh, adults true mature adults are people that take responsibility as a father and a mother I have to take responsibility it does, I can't go to anybody. I go to God, obviously, but I'm just saying, I can't go to anybody else. My kids, they, oh, I don't know what to do. Here comes dad. Here comes mom. What do we do? And we have to take responsibility. You've got to get the bills paid. You take responsibility. You need to get stuff uh, cooked. You've got to take responsibility. My wife will come sometimes and talk about how, you know, she's tired. She went to work, but her kids are crying. They, they need, they're hungry, right? So, uh, but I'm tired too. When am I supposed to rest? And God says, that's what I gave you sleep for. We take responsibility. We take responsibility for a household. And a mature church takes responsibility for the people around them. You see, you see, what's happening in our culture today is we've taught the church how to be immature. Me, 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 me. Another, no, I should say it this way. We've, we've allowed the church to remain in a state of immaturity. Take care of me, bless me, give me. And that's not what adulthood is. Adulthood is I take responsibility for you. I'm here to give, not just to get. Are we okay? You can put the stones away. I'll I'll go. I'm going to go to the next point. Second point is we want to look at the word activation. The word activate means to make active. That really helps me. Activate means to make active or more active. How about this one? To cause something to start working. Now remember, we're part of a body. The Bible says we are the body of Christ. 
we're talking about the members of the body being active. How do we become a part of the body? That's important for us. I think we should talk about that first. And I, I, I thought there's a lot of scriptures we could use here, but I went to the one in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, where it talks about communion. And it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to his disciples, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So who was his body broken for? Them. What are they doing? They're partaking of his body. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do drink as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often you eat as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, I want you to see the context here. Jesus and his disciples are taking a meal together. Now, what he, we're doing here, what he's saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. When we enter into the new covenant established with the body that was broken and the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, when we enter into the new covenant appropriating by faith the work that Jesus did and receiving the grace of the Lord, we are saved and we become part of the body of Christ. I could have gone to John 3 and 3, but I use that all the time. You know, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. I wanted to use a different scripture. I just want you to know it's in Christ when we are saved, when we enter into covenant with Jesus and receive his grace in our life, we become a part of the body of Christ. You're not part of the body of Christ because you go to church. You're part of the body of Christ because you're born again. You've entered into a, a covenant with Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace, that's the empowering presence of God, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So how do we enter into the body? Through Jesus' shed blood on the cross, through grace that we receive because of his work as we call out to him. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When the Spirit of God enters into us, we are then a part of the family of God. We are part of the body of Christ, right? So second point under this is how do we begin to function in the spiritual gifts? Acts 2 and 4, and again, lots of different scriptures I could go to. I'm just trying to be succinct. You know, Acts 1 and 8, Jesus said, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, uh, the Bible says they were all in the upper room with one accord. And uh, then all of a sudden, the wind came in and tongues of fire rested upon all of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. They'd already been born again. How did they, you know they'd been born again? Because Jesus on a mountaintop, after he, before, right before he was ascended, he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit of God. So in that particular instance, that's the Spirit of God that's in you that happens when you're born again. What happened here is the Spirit of God that came upon them in power and released to them the ability because we see as soon as they received the power, they began to be used in the gifts, and one of those gifts is tongues, un, uh, 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 speaking in an unknown language. And if you were to go and study that passage a little bit more, they were not only speaking in an unknown language, but they were also prophesying. Why were they prophesying? That's one of the giftings that come when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. As we are baptized in the Spirit of God, we're hooked up to the power source of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual empowerments, which is the gifts of God, the charismata. Another way of saying that is spiritual empowerments, spiritual enablements. 
tongues, interpretation of tongues, gift of faith, working of miracles, right? We're good? The gifts of the Spirit now have the availability to flow into our lives. Availability does not, however, necessarily mean it will happen. It means it can happen. Your position for it to happen. But oftentimes, it can necessitate the activation and impartation of the Holy Spirit to function in those gifts. Okay? For example, as I, I wrote this. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. You can have an organ in your body that for some reason another is not active. For instance, you might have legs that are not functioning. The legs, even though they're part of the body, are not activated and thus do not do their part for the body to function the way it was designed. The body is functioning less than, and the other parts of the body have to compensate. The goal would then be for the legs to be activated. It reminded me of a passage in Acts 3, 1 through 8. Peter and John went up together to the temple, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried where they lay daily at the gate, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about, going to the te- about to go into the temple, asked for money for alms and fixing his eyes on him, Uh, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now this is an actual account that happened, but I'm also using it as a metaphor. So what we see in this account is that Peter was used by the Spirit of God to activate the lame man's legs in this man's life, and as a result, he was able to function properly, and when he functioned properly, God was glorified in him and through him. In the same way, this man's, I I didn't know if this was a word, uh, the spell check has said it wasn't a word, so I put a hyphen. You can make any word a word by putting a hyphen in it. (laughs) It works. Right? Spell check says, yeah, we'll let that one go because there's a hyphen. So, (laughs) in the same way, this man's unfunctioning legs were supernaturally activated by the Spirit of God working through Peter. And we will see that God and can does use his people to activate the gifts of God in the members of the body of Christ as well. And that brings us to the third point, impartation. Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, and I, I, I threw, put this in here because I know you guys just did a Sunday school lesson on the, the, fun, the uh, fundamentals of, of Hebrews, the fundamentals of the faith. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms of, and this is the one we want to look at, laying on of hands. That's not talking about one of these of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. What does it mean under this heading to impart something to someone? It means to pass on, to transmit, or to bestow. Thus, impartation means to, uh, 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 in keeping with what we've been learning, it could also carry the idea of imparting a spiritual gift. Thus, rendering the believer active in a gift and active in the life of the body. How does that take place biblically? Let's look at a few passages from the Bible and see what we glean from the Scriptures to help us in understanding this act of impartation. And what I'm trying to tell you is that the laying on of hands is more than just praying for somebody to be healed. It's, it's an act of impartation. 
something happens when you at the uh, impetus of God, at, the, at the, the impulse of God, the moving of God, he tells you to lay hands on somebody, something happens, something is transferred from you to somebody else. Uh, just as a, a way some of you were here the other night, uh, a couple of weeks ago when I felt like the Lord told me to, to, to just embrace uh, Noe and say, what I carry I give to you, and something happened. Something was released into his life. Uh, and when I went to the revival meeting um, um, the, the, uh, that we had in Angleton, the, the evangelist was praying for me. And when he prayed for me, nothing visibly happened. Everybody was wanting me to go down, to fall, to fly. Uh, they wanted me to do all that. It didn't happen. Not against that. It just didn't happen. But when I went back to my seat, I was conscious that something happened. I got something. I don't know what it is. But I got something. Something was imparted unto me. Was it imparted to you from the guy? The, the, the man was an instrument. It's the Spirit of God that imparted something through me, but he imparted something through me through the obedience of the man. And it could be that one of the gifts or the, the way that the Spirit of God functions in him, the grace that he carried was also deposited in me. You understand what I'm saying? So, Numbers 27 and 18. Let me give you some biblical examples. I'll give you two scriptures and talk for a minute. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Deuteronomy 34 and 9. Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the Spirit of wisdom. So now he, was, he had the Spirit before, but now he has the Spirit of wisdom. Why does he have the, whole, the Spirit of wisdom? For Moses laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses was about to depart, and Moses prayed for a leader. God said, Joshua's going to be the leader. Lay your hands on him. And if you lay your, basically the context is when you lay your hands on him, I'm going to part unto him what he needs to be able, the grace that he needs to be able to do what you've been doing. In some ways, I'm going to take of the spirit that's upon you, and I'm going to put it on him. The grace that you carry, I'm going to let that grace fall on him. I don't have it in here, but it reminds me of Elisha and Elijah. Elisha was the prophet of God, and as a prophet of God, he carried the mantle of God. The mantle of God was uh, um, the grace for the office. It's what uh, identified him as being the prophet of the Lord, and with that office that God appointed and God ordained and God empowers, there is a grace. So when it came time for Elijah to depart, the Bible says that, that the, the mantle fell and Elisha picked up the mantle. It wasn't by accident. It's like, oh, look at there, a mantle. Whoo! And then all of a sudden, he, no, it was ordained by God. God wanted the mantle to pass to Elisha. Elisha picked it up, and when he picked up the mantle of Elisha, he then began to do the works that Elijah did. So it's a prophetic picture of what happens when God imparts grace to someone. Am I, am I making sense to you? Okay, so uh, it's equally imperative that we understand, going back to Moses, that Moses didn't do this with Joshua of his own volition. He did this in obedience to the leading of God to do so. Right? 
mean, I could pray for you all day long. God, do this. I can do that all day long. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's, I'm not saying it's going to be ineffective or nothing's going to happen, but, but there's something about the Lord said, do this, and when you do it, I'm in this. It's kind of like I can talk, and when I, I don't talk a lot, but I can talk, and sometimes when I talk, it's just talk. But, and let's just say, sometimes just regular talk, let's just, let's use, use colors. There's, it's black. It's just like, because I, like the words on a page, of my word processor, they're typed in black, right? But then when you get to the words of Jesus, they're in red, right? So sometimes when I talk, it's just natural talk. I'm just communicating and the words are black. But sometimes the Spirit of God is anointing what I say, and it's like the words are now have red on it right? It's the grace of God on what I'm saying. Not all the time that I talk am I speaking empowered by the Spirit of God, but it doesn't mean that sometimes I'm not. So what, what's imperative is that we learn to follow the leading of God, and Jesus said it this way. He said, uh, I say what I hear my Father saying. When my Father says something, I say it. Why was Jesus effective in ministry? Because he said what he saw his Father saying, and he did what he saw his Father doing. Right? So anyway, let's go to the New Testament. Another thing about impartation. I thought this was a good scripture that, that we can make sense of. Acts 13, 2 through 3. Um, Paul and Barnabas had been being used in the church. God was blessing them, using them. Uh, they were doing works in the church, but God wanted to do something more with them. And so as they, the minister of the church, fasted before the Lord, God said to them, the Holy Spirit says, separate, he's saying to the leadership, separate to me Paul and Barnabas for they've been doing works but now I want to do the work that I've called them to do to which I've called them. And what did they do? Having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. And I believe something was imparted to them when they laid their hands on them. And it gave them grace to move from the work that they were doing to move into the work that God was leading them to. Because sometimes... You can go from the work that you are doing to the work that, God, that you feel like God is leading you to, but you do it on your own, and so there's no grace to do it. Then the Bible say in the book of, uh, um, is it Zechariah? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. When you go out and try to, even if you're trying to do things for God, when you try to do God on your, on God's things on your own, you're doing it in your strength and your power. When you go at the leading of God, at the behest of God, at the call of God, and you allow God to empower you, then you do it in his strength and his power. Will make sense to you? Okay. So um, in this interaction, uh, we, uh, we see that they, they fasted and prayed, and it gave them grace to go from what they had been doing to what God was calling them to do. We see another example of this in the interaction between Paul and his protege, uh, Timothy, the person he was mentoring in Christ. Paul writes to Timothy, who is now pastoring in a huge church in Ephesus during a time of persecution. Paul was in jail, and Timothy was floundering because much of his church was being persecuted persecuted and leaving because of the persecution. Paul writes to encourage him through some tough times to walk out the Christian faith. He tells him in 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the gift of God that is in you. How did that gift come? 
which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So what Paul is not really talking about the gift, he's just reminding him of what happened when he was called. They laid hands on him. They had a prophetic word from the Spirit of God. And through that prophetic word, he was given a grace or enablement to do what he was doing. In 2 Timothy 1 and 6, Paul writes to him, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So here's what I want you to see, is that the laying on of hands is more than just picking the right person for leadership. It is a biblical way that God uses to impart grace. Grace to do what? whatever God's called you to do, whatever he's leading you into. So we see in Paul's admonition to Timothy how Timothy was activated in the gifts he had, and Paul's encouraging him to walk in those gifts. In the book of Romans, Paul is writing to the Roman church because he wants to go and visit them, and he says one of the things that he hoped to do was to impart something to them. And when he's talking about impartation, he's not just talking about impartation of knowledge because he was imparting knowledge to them through the letter, but he was talking about impartation of something that they could use, whether it be grace, whether it be activation of gifts. But he says it this way, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. You may have a, a stronger foundation. But he doesn't just leave it with what he can do for them. He also says, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. In some ways, I can read into this and say, I want to impart unto you something, and I'm hoping that you can impart unto me something. It's a mutual impartation, right? So while we've been looking at the method of laying on of hands to activate and impart giftings into people, the question becomes, is this the only way to do so? I believe that the Bible teaches that we can be used to activate and impart through the spoken prophetic word as well, not just by the laying on of hands, of course, under the leadership and guidance and the impetus of the Holy Spirit of God, right? John 12, uh, I mean, Psalms 107 uh, verse 20 says this. We're going to skip John 12 because I already did that. In Psalms 107 verse 20, he, the Lord, sent his word and healed them and deliver them from their destructions. How does he send his word? Through people. He speaks to somebody. When he speaks to somebody, they speak to the people, and God sends his word. So there's power in the spoken word, right? Now, with that in mind, let's go to Ezekiel 37, 3 through 8. And he... Ezekiel said that the Lord said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And again they said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So who's going to do the prophesying? No, Ezekiel. (laughs) What's he going to prophesy? What God told him to, right? He said, Say this to the bones. So what is Ezekiel's job? To say what God told him to say to the bones. You might think to yourself, why doesn't God just do that himself? Because he didn't work that way. He chose to work through the persons that he put in charge of the natural world under his leadership, which is people. 
And so that's why God works through people. Ezekiel, I think it's 22 and 30, says, I look for someone to stand in the gap. The context is that I could work through, but I found no one. So in other words, it's like my plans and what I want to do is frustrated because I can't find someone who will partner with me. So with Ezekiel, he finds someone to partner with him, and God says, say this to the bones. And and he says, surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Quote, unquote, this is what he's supposed to say. So Ezekiel says, I said what God told me to say. I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise And suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Now, did Ezekiel go and lay hands on the bones? Was Ezekiel bringing life into the bones? No, he was prophesying to the bones. Who was giving life to the bones? God. But God was using the prophetic word to activate life or impart life into something that was not presently alive, right? So again, what we see here is that Ezekiel prophesied over the dead bones. As he did that, the Spirit of God imparted to life what was previously inactive. These bones were activated by the Word of God. It must also be noted that Ezekiel did not do this at his own discretion. He did it at the leading and the behest of God. I'm using a lot of words tonight I don't usually use, but hey. Like here's another one you don't hear very often. In conclusion. (laughs) All right. So what I wanted to do tonight is I wanted to show us scripturally the idea of what importation and activation was so that as we enter in to times of importation and activation, whether it be through a spoken word, whether it be through the laying on of hands, you understand biblically the concept and the purpose of understanding biblically the concept is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we don't just do a ritual, but you actually come into the experience saying, God, I'm gonna believe you to do something in my life because it's biblical. And I need this. I need, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 12. uh, No, it's verse 14. Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual. Desire the spiritual. It actually says in many translations, desire spiritual gifts. Another way of interpreting that word desire is zealously pursue, zealously lust after the spiritual zealously lust after the spiritual giftings. So here's, here's what I want to say about that is a lot of times, so you, you're probably thinking, you said in conclusion. A lot of times I've heard people say this, I'm open to God doing something in my life. The Bible doesn't say be open to it. The Bible says pursue it. Believe God for it, Right? You can be open all day long, and openness is not faith. The the woman with the issue of blood could have been open to God healing her, but it wasn't openness that got her healed. It was faith that moved her to a place where she could be healed. Faith moves you. Faith uh, uh, does something in your life to open a way for God to be able to, to, for you to be able to receive what God wants to give into your life. So it's more than just being open. It's the idea that God 
is wanting to use me. He wants to equip me. I'm open, but uh, I'm more than just open. I'm ready, willing, and, and in a position to receive what God wants to do in my life, what he wants to activate, what he wants to impart into my life so that I can be what he's destined me to be, an active uh, 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 member of the body of Christ, not just a, 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 an apathetic, um, um, idle uh, a person sitting in the pews, but I can actually fulfill my purpose that God has given me and my destiny, and I don't have to do it in my own strength. I can do it in God's strength as God imparts unto me the grace that I need to do what he's called me to do. I, I, without grace, I can't do this. Without grace, I, I couldn't put this together. Without grace, I can't preach the way that I do. Without grace, I can't do what we're about to do is move into a time of activation and impartation. Without grace, I can't do that. It's all God. But we do have a part to play. It reminds me of Moses in conclusion, remember, okay, okay, I get you. Reminds me of Moses at the Red Sea. What did God say? Moses was complaining to God because they're hemmed in in front, hemmed in behind, hemmed in on the left, hemmed in on the right. What are we supposed to do? And God says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Get out there in front of the people, get in front of the Red Sea and lift up your staff. And when he lifted up his staff, now how many of you know the staff did not part the sea? When he lifted up the staff, the wind became to, to, began to blow. You know what the wind of God is likened to? It's likened to the Spirit of God. The Ruach of God began to move. When we do what God tells us to do, the Spirit of God begins to do what he does. And it was the Spirit of God that opened the pathway for the children of Israel to, to, to walk through. But we have a part to play, right? Right?